0: You'd think during a global pandemic that any sort of entertainment that we could grasp at we would just take and hold on to forever and then the NHL decided to return to play but one team is still and reaching new levels of being unwatchable. We've got that, other highlights, news to get into and a PSA to all the NHL teams out there. Episode 55, Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. Wednesday, March the 9th edition of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Thank you, by the way, for uh, for tuning in. We got a lot of fun coming up on the show today. We got to talk about a suspension and whether it was worthy of seven games or not. A new lottery system in place. We'll kick off the show there. A superstar returns one team on the rise and one team unwatchable. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun one today. Uh, Instagram and Twitter at St Hockey Podcast if you want to follow along and like those pages. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I kind of slowed up a little bit. I'm slowly still uploading episodes to YouTube. So if you are watching on certain platforms and whatnot, YouTube. I, I'm getting there. I'm going to try and take a little bit of time this week to like solely focus on getting those episodes uploaded. Uh, I did, you know, tease a special guest last week. I'm still trying to work on that right now. Some circumstances came up, but. I'm still in conversations with him, and hopefully we'll have him on for Friday's edition, if not in the near future. So there will be other voices here on the show today. Also a reminder, another article out for the Hockey Writers Around the Vancouver Canucks actually talking about how they got a build off of their two-game sweep against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, you know, they came back and uh, beat the Montreal Canadiens last night in a shootout. So, all of a sudden, that's a three-game winning streak. And you can call it a streak now. So, good on them. We got Tarasenko coming up in a little bit. Vancouver as well. Tom Wilson. Buffalo and Taylor Hall. PSA to everybody. But we'll start with this story here. And, honestly, when I read the report about the story, I said it's about time. The NHL, a report has come out that the NHL is proposing changes to the draft lottery. They are proposing at least three key changes to the draft lottery system. This was reported by Sportsnet's Chris Johnston. Here are they. So one, teams are limited to no more than two lottery wins within a five-year period. Number two, teams are allowed to jump only 10 spots when they win the lottery And the final one, a reduction in the number of picks decided by lottery will go from three to two. Uh, These changes are subject to approval by the NHL Board of Governors, and only the third possible change would take effect before the 2022 NHL draft. That is according to Elliott Friedman. So if you remember, additionally, previous lottery victories reportedly wouldn't count towards the team's total. So now they're going to start, you know, they're going to start keeping track of it. So if you remember, GMs um, were were calling the league, apparently, uh, after October to increase the lottery odds for bottom teams in the standings. This came just two months after the Rangers won the right to select Alexis Lafreniere first overall. The Rangers won the lottery despite qualifying for last year's expanded postseason format. They finished 13 spots and 40 points ahead of the dead last place Detroit Red Wings last year. And if you remember, too, some teams tank, not tank, but some teams finish last with the intent to finish last, so they have a high draft pick. The Toronto Maple Leafs did it in 2015 uh, when they ended up getting Austin Matthews. They finished dead last. They won the lottery, or they held on the lottery and selected Austin Matthews. Um, the uh, the Edmonton Oilers, I believed, also like won "quote unquote" their lottery after being one of the worst teams and got Connor McDavid. Like that was just the way things worked out. And some teams have really gotten screwed over. The Ottawa Senators had two lottery picks in the top five. Neither of them got number one overall. Now, Tim Stutzla is a stud. He's going to be sick. I think Jake Sanderson is going to be a really good player too. But if you were to go back in time when Ottawa, when that draft lottery was happening that night, and you were going to tell Ottawa fans that you were going to be picking third and fifth and not, let's say, imagine they got first and third. And snag Stutzla and Lafreniere. Like, that would have been a nightmare. Um, My opinion on this is... No other team really does a draft lottery like this. Like, I've never seen... Like, in the National Football League... The the, the worst place team this year was the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are guaranteed a slam-dunk lock to select first overall. Now, does this incentivize tanking to a certain extent? Sure, but it makes for a better product. And the only teams you're really hurting is yourself. Like, you're not hurting any other teams by doing it. I'm not I'm not sitting up here right now and I'm suggesting that you need to tank in order to get better. But the Penguins kind of lucked in and tanked to get Sidney Crosby. The Capitals were a nightmare and they got Alex Ovechkin. The Oilers, who I, they're not there yet, but they're a heck of a lot better than what they were before. Connor McDavid... And the Leafs were a laughingstock before getting Austin Matthews along with Mitch Marner and William Nylander all top 10 picks. Morgan Riley's a top five pick too. I'm not saying that you need to tank because there's a certain way to go about it. You can lose with integrity, but if you are literally not showing up to games, then something has to change. But I don't think that was ever happening, especially in the National Hockey League. But we have watched years of this now. Like, here's the stat for you. Over the last nine years the dead last team has picked first overall twice two times in a nine year span that is a l- less than twenty five percent chance that if you are dead last you're picking first overall I think what has happened with the lottery system I still think there is a the reason like when the saying is it's like winning the lottery, it's because it's almost impossible to do. Like, there will be the one, it should be the one time in a 10 year span where the not last place team picks first overall. But seven of the nine years, the NHL's last place team has not picked first overall. The Oilers picked first overall three years in a row. 2010, 2011, and 2012. And I believe the two, ple- the two teams that picked last place were Edmonton and Toronto when they got Matthews and McDavid. I could be wrong about the Edmonton one, but I know for a fact Toronto is one of just the two times. But like I said, in the National Football League, when you're the dead last place team, you pick first overall. Like, there's just no other way about it. Because when you don't win games, you lose money. So the incentive is you need to at least win games. It also depends knowing who's coming up in the draft. In the NFL this year, it's a quarterback by the name of Trevor Lawrence. This year, it's not a McDavid or a Matthews draft. It's it's not necessarily the same pedigree. Like Lafreniere was the big pull last year in Stutzla, and there were some good names there, but it didn't get the McDavid hype. It didn't get the Matthews hype. It didn't get the Crosby-Ovechkin hype. So in my opinion, I think it's about time. Like, if you're going to do a draft lottery, right, if you're going to give, I would say you only give the opportunity to the bottom 10 teams in the National Hockey League. If you're not in the, in, in the top 10 in terms of worst teams, you don't make the cut. From there, right, the 10th place team has like a less than 1% chance of coming through right, and you slowly go up statistically, but I would say even like 10 to 5, you have like a 1% chance. I would give, if you are not last place, you shouldn't have a 25 to 30% chance at leapfrogging the team who's below you or ahead of you, however you want to look at it in the standings, to select first overall. As we've seen in recent years, the difference from first to second overall can be monumental. say say, any, say whatever you want about it, but the draft where Austin Matthews went first overall. the next player was Patrick Line. Now for a couple of years, right? Patrick Line had a, had a 40 goal season. He was kind of he was battling Matthews for that first uh, for that spot in the uh, Calder race. But Laine is kind of tailed off. He's got a bad rap. And Matthews is now soared to being a top 10, top 5 player in the National Hockey League. Think about who number 3 was on that list. Pierre-Luc Dubois. Heck of a player. Top 6 centerman in the NHL. But Austin Matthews? Number 4, by the way, was Jesse poole Who didn't play up until this year. Because it was that bad. Sometimes that top pick is so important. And to have teams with a 25 to 30% chance to leapfrog the team that desperately... Like, how badly did the Detroit Red Wings desperately need a player like Alexis Lafreniere? Like, the changes that guy would have made to that organization... Like, New York didn't need him. Like, happy for them that they got him. But the Rangers... They've got two outstanding young goaltenders in the upcoming. They just selected second overall because they moved up in the draft and got Capo Caco. You've got Chris Kreider, Paul Paul Bushnevich. You just signed Artemi Panera into a giant contract. You traded for Jacob Truba. You've got a top pick and Adam Fox on defense. This team didn't need a guy like Lafreniere, and now he goes there. And Detroit gets to suffer another year. Yes, they had a 24-year consistently going to the playoff streak that ended. But since then, like, you want to see teams bounce back. You don't want to see teams sit at the bottom for, for years and years and years and never have an opportunity to move up strictly because you lost the lottery. Should there be a lottery remains to be seen. If you don't want teams tanking, sure. But give them a minuscule t- chance to win the lottery. Don't give them this 25 to 30% chance. Like, you've got first place team gets five ping pong balls. The second worst team gets four and three. and Like, you know what I mean? Like, the way the lottery should work is if you're going to use that ping pong ball system. Like, the worst team gets ten. Second worst gets, like, two. Third gets two. Right? And then the next just, they all, and then the rest of them get one. I don't know. Something along those lines where... It is not overwhelmingly, like, the first place team should have as many ping pong balls as the next nine combined. Seriously, that's what I think. It gives you a chance that you might win the lottery. But based on the statistics of how often you should actually win the lottery, to what we saw just now. Apparently winning the lottery in the NHL, seven out of nine times. That the NHL's last place team didn't pick first overall. They've only picked first overall twice. I think it was the Austin Matthews one. I think it was the Connor McDavid one. Because I don't think Edmonton... I think it would have been a bigger deal if Edmonton jumped the team to get McDavid. But that's what I can remember. But nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see if the NHL does move forward with this. But just a rem- just a reminder too the NHL the last time they altered the draft lottery format was 5 years ago in 2016 because before that only the top pick was in play for the lottery now it's the top 3 so Detroit who should have picked first picked fourth right cuz it went it went the Rangers who jumped up like 13 spots the Kings who kind of stood pat or moved up a little bit to get by field, Ottawa moved down, Detroit moved down, and then Ottawa ended up going fifth. So now you've got three different picks in play. Like, there's just there's too many complications, in my opinion. There's too many teams moving around. I like the, the idea, the narrative, that where you finish is where you select. And I think there might be the odd team here and there that decides to, quote-unquote, tank. But if you look at the way, if it's done properly, you still ice an NHL team. Players put efforts in. Like, you're not just putting out your AHL farm team. Right? And the owners know this, too. The owners know you sacrifice a year. You still play hard. You pick up the odd win against maybe a team who's vying for a playoff spot. It's the way it's done, I think, in most other leagues. Right? I I think, I don't think the NBA has one. I could be wrong on that, but I know for a fact the NFL doesn't have it. And I don't believe that the Major League Baseball has it. But Major League Baseball drafting is wild. You're drafting kids at like 16, so. Very interesting. We'll see what that comes to, uh, if that comes to fruition or not. But they've, they've been changing this up way too much. Find a format, stick with it, see how it goes. But I just think there was too much movement. And clearly the last place team has only picked first overall twice in the last nine years, almost a decade. And if it stays the way it is going into this year's draft, it probably is going to be another lottery team winning it again. So interesting stuff moving forward. Um, I want to move on to this story because this is one that has been a hot topic in the NHL for some time now involving an organization who a lot of people actually said that, don't be surprised if this team gets a playoff spot. I called this before the season even began. And I'm not saying this to try and like toot my own horn or anything. I just, it was it was like the same thing. A lot of people had this this hype on the Ottawa Senators and like, oh, they drafted really well and they've got some really nice signings. They might surprise and squeak into the playoffs. And then those expectations came down because they're still very young and new goaltender, new, new atmosphere, and Stutz is a rookie. Batherson's young and like they're coming. They're going to get there, but just like give them time, give them time. Very similarly, though, expectations were even greater for this team. The Buffalo Sabres. Now, Buffalo this offseason made a couple moves. They went out and traded for Eric Stahl, who used to play for the Minnesota Wild. And they signed free agent winger Taylor Hall to a one-year, $8 million contract. And it was going to be great. He was going to play with Eichel, and Jeff Skinner was going to get his mojo back because he was going to play with Eric Stahl and Reinhardt and, and and all these guys, and you've got Darlene and... And Buffalo right now is the worst team in the NHL. Now, I didn't predict them to be the worst team, but I said they're going to struggle. The Athletic just posted an article bringing on a former captain who wanted to stay anonymous just in case he's working for another network or for the Sabres. But he went on, he kept his uh, anonymity, and he discussed Buffalo being a whole new level of unwatchable. I read most of the article, but I didn't have to. Because like I said, I said from the beginning, Buffalo was going to struggle for instance. One, they didn't add a goaltender. This was a market full of goaltenders. Even if you had a guy to split the net with. Jacob Markstrom, Braden Holtby, the Rangers were looking to trade a guy. Like you could have brought in a veteran. Anybody to pair with like a Linus Allmark. Somebody. And they didn't do it. There were goaltenders available for trade. Cam Talbot, even Cam Talbot would have been good. Thomas Grice, Robin Leonard, Marc-Andre Fleury was on the market. So many guys available. And if you're going to tell me right now that they don't have the cap space to bring in Marc-Andre Fleury, they don't sign Taylor Hall, they get Marc-Andre Fleury, it's a very different team. Very different team. But number two, they didn't, they didn't address their defense. Now, they've got names on the defense corps: Rasmus Dalin, Rista Linen, Brandon Montour, Jake McCabe. They're all names, but they struggled last year, right? That was the D core that they had last year. So transitioning from one year to another was going to fix that. Nothing changed. Now, I got to give them this. They moved over to a significantly tougher division. They are battling the Philadelphia Flyers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Boston Bruins, the Washington Capitals, the New York Islanders. All five of those teams made the playoffs last year. It's going to be a shame that one of them misses it. I think right now it might be Pittsburgh, but that remains to be seen. But I remember people saying that they're going to they're gonna push for a playoff spot and they're going to take out. I'm like, who? Who are they going to take out? The Flyers went to the, 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 the second or third round last year. The Bruins are always a contender, even without Chara. The Capitals won it just a couple years ago and are reloading. The Islanders went to the conference finals. And Pittsburgh has Crosby and Malkin. I was, where are, which two of those teams were they going to supplant in a playoff spot? They are dead last in the entire league. It doesn't look like it's going to get any easier. And by the way, just in case you were thinking like about supplanting one of those five teams, they just got swept by the Islanders and they have the Flyers coming up. It's not going to get any better for Buffalo. So as I transition to this, there were rumors about Taylor Hall and multiple rumors. One about him possibly being on the trade market. Another about re-signing and liking the people in Buffalo and liking the atmosphere in Buffalo, which is wild to me because before he even signed there, all he said was, I want to go to a winner. Now, getting paired up with Jack Eichel before this season, obviously you start to see stars and things start to align, but some teams have been involved in, in trade talks for Taylor Hall. And here's a PSA to all of the NHL teams out there. Don't trade for him. Why would you trade for him? Since he got to the NHL, he hasn't won. He hasn't won. Now, he won back-to-back Memorial Cups in the Ontario Hockey League with the Windsor Spitfires. He has won World Hockey Championships when the NHL season ended for him when he didn't make the playoffs. He's won Spangler Cups, and he won a U-17 championship for Team Canada as well. I will not take that away from Taylor Hall. He was a winner everywhere else he went. But when you play for Team Canada, you're surrounded by guys who he played with, like Steven Stamkos and Matt Duchesne, and a lot of guys, very talented players. Right? OHL, it's tough to win in the OHL. But he was a man among boys in the OHL. He makes $8 million. So if a team was looking to trade for him, they'd have to take on $8 million. try and get Buffalo to eat like four of it. But he has two goals. He's two goals this year. You paid for goal scoring to put him with Jack Eichel to improve goal scoring, and he's two goals. The fit's not there. And honestly, think about wherever he's gone, that team hasn't won. He never got a chance to play a playoff game in Edmonton. He played one series, I believe, in New Jersey. That was the year he won the heart. And again, I I can't take that away from him. He had a 93-point season. And then I believe he made it a couple rounds because of the play-in last year when they took down the riddling Nashville Predators. He's got 14 playoff points, or he's got 12 playoff points in like 14 games. He's still putting up points. But in his 11-year career, He's made the postseason twice. Also, say what you want, say what you want about this stat, but in his eleven-year career, he has been a minus player in nine. Again, it's not you don't you don't take that take that stat with a grain of salt. But normally, when you're on a winning team, when you go to teams and win. You're on the ice for more goals for at 5-on-5 than you are against. I guarantee you, if I were to go look at the Tampa Bay Lightning's roster, they're all in the pluses. If I were to go look at the Toronto Maple Leafs roster, I think Mitch Marner's like top five in the league in plus-minus because he's always on the ice for goals for, and he's not on the ice for a whole lot of goals against. He, he everywhere he's gone unfortunately he just he doesn't bring that playoff he's not the playoff guy you want and to give up what you'd have to give up because of the name that is attached to him it'd be too much for a one year rental that probably fizzles out in the first or second round for you like i mentioned he had that hart trophy a couple years back since that 93 point season he hasn't surpassed 52 points. Now, mind you, I think the most he played one year is like 65 games. But that's that's a 41-point difference. Yeah, he played all 82 that year, but that's 41 points. He hasn't been able to get back to that. And this year so far, he's got like 14. He's got like two goals and 12 assists. 11-year career. He's played 14 playoff games. Why would you go acquire Taylor Hall right now? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just let him hit the market? Because what's Buffalo going to do? They're going to handcuff themselves and sign him to a long-term contract, probably around $6 million a year, and still be tied to Jeff Skinner and Kyle Ocposo and Jack Eichel and this team who they currently have together right now who can't win, and they're going to, they're just going to bring Hall back and everything's going to be fine? It's a PSA out there to any NHL team. Don't, re- don't, tra- don't trade for Taylor Hall. Don't do it. It's a weird thing that I have, and I have nothing against him. I have nothing against his skill set. He's clearly shown he can be an elite player in the right circumstances, but it's the same thing as Matt Duchesne. Right? Matt Duchesne... Gets traded from the god-awful... If you remember this, they were god-awful Colorado Avalanche. Gets traded. They are instantly winning games. Nathan McKinnon just completely takes over as the best player on that team. He gets a beautiful fit with, with Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen. Team opens up some draft capital. They draft really well. Right? Cap space opens up too. It's, it was wild. He goes to Ottawa. Ottawa, by the way, a team who's looking to add another top six forward. Ottawa then struggles. Then they send him off to Columbus, who's already in a playoff spot. They have a nice little run. And then unfortunately, right, doesn't doesn't happen. He doesn't resign there, though. No, no, no. He goes to Nashville. And Nashville now is Nashville. Had to get rid of two centers because they couldn't afford them. There's just some players who, wherever they go, they just can't seem to find the winning formula. And I don't care if it's a coincidence or bad luck or whatever you want to call it. I don't want that bad juju on my team. I don't want it on my team. So why would you go out and trade Taylor Hall? Why would you go acquire him? Why would you give up a possibly first round pick, second round pick, prospects, and eat four to five million dollars in cap for two goals this season? That was just, it's just my take. However, you want to take it. Maybe you know Taylor Hall. Maybe you saw him before. Maybe you think a change of scenery. But he's had four changes of scenery now, and unfortunately, it's just not hasn't gone the way he's hoped. Okay, uh, I want to move on here. Uh, I did write a piece on this, and you know, it seemed for a while that the Vancouver Canucks were dead to rights. And you know, you still might think that they have played the most amount of games in the National Hockey League at twenty nine. They have played five more games than the teams that they're trying to chase right now, including the Montreal Canadiens, three more games than teams like Winnipeg, um, you know, a couple more than Toronto, but still sit subsequently a a bunch of points back. But they've got something to build off of. They just came off of a two-game sweep at the hands of the Toronto Maple Leafs in which they were swept earlier on this year and had a nice little comeback victory against the Montreal Canadiens last night. Now they're on a three-game they're on a three-game winning streak. They're trying to build off of it. This is where as a team and this this applies to anybody, but you do not want to rest on your laurels. Like don't don't rest on sweeping the Leafs in back-to-back games at home. One of those games when the Toronto Maple Leafs played on the second half of a back-to-back started their third string at the beginning of the season was their fourth string goalie. Now, having said all that, Vancouver looks better, and they've done two things really well over this last three-game stretch and have started to kind of figure out. One, they finally just picked a goalie and thrown him in the crease. There was too much back and forth. There was too much of a 50-50 split. And sometimes, in certain nets, that works. Right, New York last year had Thomas Grice, Simeon Varlamov. For some reason, those two guys just, it worked. Whenever a guy would come out, the other guy would come in and kind of pick up right where he left off. It worked wonders for them. Right, you're seeing some teams, like Boston does it for a very long time. It's not 50-50, but like Tukarask and in, in, in Yuroslav Halak. It's like a 60-65-40-35 split. Right. One guy plays, you know, almost just more than half the games, and the other one kind of cleans up a little bit. A very dependable backup goaltender. But some teams just, you need to ride a guy. Right. We're seeing that this year with Calgary. Like Calgary, though, Dave Rich has come on and done actually very well. But at the the beginning of the season, Jacob Markstrom was stealing games for the Calgary Flames. All right. Andre Vasilevsky, though, it doesn't matter who you put net for Tampa Bay right now, but Vasilevsky's like the guy over there. This year, due to injury, Philip Grubauer has had to be the guy in Colorado. He's been phenomenal. Finally, the Canucks threw Thatcher Demko in net. And he has thrived. There was too much of a split between Thatcher Demko, and I understand why. So they signed Braden Holpe to start the year. It was kind of a 50-50 split. Holpe was going to kind of... They were going to transition Holpe to become the backup goaltender, Thatcher Demko to then be the starter. But this year, Thatcher Demko, he he showed why he could do it last year. Because Markstrom went down in the playoffs, they threw Thatcher Demko in net in the postseason, and this dude went on an absolute tear in that three or four-game stretch against the Vegas Golden Knights. He had like a .62 goals against and a 9.85 save percentage. It was wild. But Thatcher Demko has started four consecutive games. He's won all four of them, including getting his first ever NHL regular season shutout. And his numbers have been spectacular. Sometimes you got to throw a guy into the fire. Just throw him, throw him into the deep end of the pool. See if he swims. If he sinks, fine. You've got another guy there in Brayden Holpe, who can start for three or four games straight. But I said, pick a guy, run with him for a bit. See what you've got from your goaltending. They've done that. Number two, they are finally getting contributions from their not top players, Jake Furtanen had a big two goal game. Niels Hoglander played well. Adam Godet his scoring goals. They're getting contributions. Tyler Myers is doing actually pretty decently on the back end. I don't know defensively, but like he's chipping in well. He's playing a lot of minutes right now. But it was it was always if it wasn't Besser, it had to be Pedersen. If it wasn't them, it was like Miller. There were four or five guys who were the only ones contributing. At least it seemed like it. Right, it was Bo Horvat, the captain, who's been phenomenal. Brock Besser has been great, leads the team in scoring. Elias Patterson, who wasn't in Toronto's two-game series, and they won both games without him. Quinn Hughes, and then JT Miller. JT Miller, who has been so unbelievably underrated over there, by the way, as well. But the other thing, like I mentioned, they didn't have Elias Patterson for both those games against Toronto. Now, I don't believe, I'm trying to check to see if they had him or not for that series, for that game last night against Montreal, but I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie, I don't think they did. So Pedersen was out. Yeah, Pedersen wasn't there. So Pedersen has missed their last three games, all of which they've won, and the guys around that team have stepped up. Now I did I did discuss with a with a buddy of mine, and he said the the, the Canucks are better without Pedersen. No, just guys are taking advantage of the opportunity that they are given. When you can insert a player like Elias Pettersson, but still have your bottom six players contributing, like Jake Furtanen having a two-goal game, Niels Hoglander scoring, Adam Gaudette taking advantage, yeah, you're going to be pretty successful. And then, of course, whatever's working right now, insert Pettersson in a point that's not going to mess with the chemistry from your top lines right now. And anyone that Pettersson plays with at this point is just going to benefit from playing with a playmaking centerman like him. So... If they can continue, don't rest on your loyals, continue to build off of this, you don't have games in hand to work off of. So every game, every victory counts that much more for them right now. But I'm just, yeah, in that two-game series against Toronto, I'm just, I'm looking through it. Guys stepped up, Demko had a 1.5 goals against average, over a 950 save percentage, like, that's all you can ask for. Gave your goaltender an opportunity, a chance to win you games, have secondary scoring help you out. Work hard. Make your own luck. And right now, Vancouver's doing that just as long as they don't rest on their laurels. Don't sit back and and think as this is being the height of the season because if it is, it's going to be a long second half of the year for Canucks fans. Uh, okay, so some breaking news took place over the course of the weekend. Uh, Tom Wilson delivered a high hit on defenseman Brendan Carlo of the Boston Bruins. He was giving an in-person hearing, and upon review, and upon the hearing, seven games. Seven-game suspension was given to Tom Wilson after his hit on a blue liner Brendan Carlo from the Bruins. Uh, it was a hit that took place on Saturday. It was announced Saturday, actually, so it was Friday night when the penalty was uh, was uh, was given to him. Uh, This was the description from the uh, NHL player uh, department of player safety. They said with the puck bouncing in, Carlos skates, as he attempts to locate it, Wilson approaches from the outside, his field division and delivers a high hard hit that makes direct contact with Carlos head, driving him violently into the glass and causing an injury through no fault of his own. He's Carlo in a position where he is unable to brace for contact, anticipate the hit, or protect himself in any way from Wilson, who is approaching from the outside of his field vision. Uh, while there are uh, aspects of the hit that may skirt the line between suspendable and not suspendable, or suspendable, sorry, it is the totality of the circumstances that caused this play to merit supplemental discipline. So that last line there uh, explained everything. There were aspects of this that eh, could have been a suspension, maybe not a suspension but because it was Tom Wilson he got seven games now I think that he has done worse in his career if I'm being honest with you and I don't have the full rap sheet because there are multiple times where Tom Wilson has been suspended but I think this one yes he caught him high but when you watch the play Carlo is looking down his head's extended Wilson comes in for a hit and he does make contact with the head. Maybe it's avoidable, but maybe in that split second he's going for a hit and unfortunately his head is a little bit disconnected from the rest of them. I'm not going to argue with seven games and I'm not even going to argue like the reasoning for it or anything like that. But I'm I'm very just interested because of so, so Wilson's been suspended five times now in his career. The biggest one came back in 2018. He was given a 20-game hit. If you remember, it was St. Louis Blues forward Oscar Sunkfist. That was uh that was kind of the big one of his career that kind of put him in that category. But what I read from that explanation from the Department of Player Safety. Was the part where it says, while there are aspects of the hit that may skirt on the line between suspendable and not suspendable, it is the totality of the circumstances that caused this play to merit supplemental discipline. So they are going after... It's more after the player and not the play. Right? Because it was Tom Wilson. If it was Nicholas Backstrom, they'd pat him on the back and be like, good job, you made a hit. That's my only thing. And yes you need to have a closer eye on on players who have a past history of suspension but this one maybe gets 2 maybe 3 cuz as soon as they said it was an in-hearing suspension it's a it's a minimum of 5 with a chance for more and they got 7 and right now he hasn't Tom Wilson's not fighting it so clearly, too, that there are obvious, there are there are things within his camp, within the organization that say, just sit it out, we're going to be fine, come back, you're going to be good. Now, Carlo was brought uh, to the, was taken to the hospital after the hit, but has since been released afterwards, too. But it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's become very evident that the NHL, when you look at a suspension, the first thing that they look at, or the defining thing they look at, is whether you've been suspended before. Right. It's like when you drive and you get a speeding ticket. Right. If you haven't gotten one before, right, they're like, ah, it's okay. Just a warning. We'll even give you like a little discount. Just don't go slower. And then normally you're fine. But when you do it more and more and more often, they're gonna be like, listen, we gotta hit you harder so you don't do it anymore. And that's obviously what they're trying to do here with Tom Wilson. And I don't think Tom Wilson intended to do this, but he's had a rap sheet. Five times in his career, 20-game suspension less than three years ago for the hit on Oscar Sungfist. I think this was in, like, an exhibition game, too. But it's, it's the way it is. I don't think I would have given him seven, but he's had a 20-gamer before. He's been suspended four other times. He's done this in the past, and you're trying to avoid head injuries in hockey. So I'm torn on it. Like, I understand why, but the NHL has basically showed their hand. And maybe they meant to. Maybe they meant to show their hand by saying it's all about the totality of the circumstances that caused this play to merit supplemental discipline. And if that's the way they're going to traffic it, then by all means, because head injuries, traumas, post-hockey, it's all serious mental illness, it's all very serious and succumbs from head injuries within the game of hockey. And trying to prevent those meaning means suspending guys for longer than maybe the play merits, but it's a point that they need to get across and prove to try and limit the amount of times that this happens. So on one side, I'm like, well you're only doing it because his name's Tom Wilson on the other end it's Tom Wilson's done it before so Seven games is what he got. Anyways, he's already sat out two of them. He's only got five left. He'll be back within the Caps lineup in just a little bit. Uh, final thing I want to get to here with today before we uh, head out is a really ending on a good news story here. And when something of this magnitude happens, it's like adding a superstar at the trade deadline but not giving anything up in the process. So this past Saturday, Blues forward Vladimir Tarasenko played his first game this season against the LA Kings. He had been recovering from a third shoulder surgery of his career back in late August. It's a long period to go without hockey. But he's had three surgeries. There's some speculation still, but he was deemed good and fit to come back. Watching him play on the ice over the last couple games has been amazing for him. And you got to remember, too, like when injuries like this occur, especially to the shoulder. You never know how they're going to go. Sometimes it's just never the same. You lose your physicality. You lose your edge. You lose your intensity. But having a chance to see Tarasenko... I think he got an assist. They they played last night. They lost to the Blues 3-2 and over... Or they lost to the Sharks, sorry, 3-2 in overtime. But Tarasenko picked up a point. Right? Having that guy, you're adding a player back. I would say the same thing about the Tampa Bay Lightning, but Tampa's not getting Kucherov back until the playoffs, which is kind of the same thing. But this gives Tarasenko... 20-something games to get his feet wet under him. It doesn't matter how many goals at this point he scores, how many points he gets. Get comfortable, get back to being you on the ice. He's only 29 years of age. He's led the Blues in goals in five straight years prior to last year. But since 2013, he's top 15 in the NHL with 214 goals. Like, there's only 12 guys ahead of him who have scored more goals within that time frame. Getting a guy like Tarasenko back in your lineup, which is, again, I'm so happy for Tarasenko off three shoulder surgeries and all that. It's like adding a impact superstar player, like a trade, but not having to trade anything away. It really is incredible. And I think that this will just push Mike Hoffman out the door. I really do. I know Mike Hoffman's actually been really good this year. I think he's got like 18 points in 23 or 24 games. But he was kind of filling in, and even then he was playing like third line. Uh, Tarasenko's going to walk in there, play top six minimum, and it might push him out the door. I don't know if Mike Hoffman... I mean, Mike Hoffman's going to stay, but his production might start to take a dip a little bit, unfortunately. But really, really amazing stuff to see Vladimir Tarasenko back on the ice. He's played two games. I believe he has an assist. He picked up last night in the uh, overtime loss to the San Jose Sharks, but... Really amazing news, and you love seeing stories like that, but um, it, it is a major win for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, before we head out, just a couple other news and notes to get to around the NHL. Kirby Dock, centerman for the Chicago Blackhawks, was on the ice for an optional skates Earlier yesterday, taking a big step in his comeback from wrist surgery. I said the 20 year old will be accompanying the team on a six game road trip. He injured his wrist in an exhibition game during the World Junior Hockey Championships um, this past uh, this past winter really unfortunate because it was the only one and there was kind of debates on whether doc was going to stay with chicago or go back and play for team canada chicago said go let him play we're a rebuilding team we got a lot of things going on here and you know in the uh, one game that he unfortunately played he got that injury so really nice to see him back on the ice he's going to accompany the blackhawks on a six game uh road trip i don't know whether he gets in in the next little bit but that is really encouraging news for them and for the 20-year-old because I bet he would love to be a part of Chicago who has really exceeded expectations this year. Uh, Austin Matthews, forward superstar for the Toronto Maple Leafs. His lingering wrist injury has apparently been affecting his play over the last couple of games and how the team has been deploying him since his return to the lineup from said injury. Uh, this was from head coach Sheldon Keefe saying he's just he's not the same player right now. My question is, why are they trying to rush him back into play? You have a cushion atop the North Division. Even Not even just the team below you, but for the rest of the playoffs, I was thinking they were going to rest him ahead of that series against Vancouver. They didn't. They put him back in. He played Thursday and Saturday. He's had a couple more days to rest, and it looks like he is going to go, but it looks like it's just been an injury that's been lingering all year long. He's going to have to battle through it, but as long as there's nothing serious, you should be seeing Austin Matthews in the lineup. And then finally, congratulations to goaltender of the Minnesota Wild, Kapo Kakinen. He made 26 knaves to notch his first career shutout for the Minnesota Wild in a 2-0 victory over the Vegas Golden Knights last night. Congratulations to you. And it ended the Golden Knights' six-game winning streak. And uh, as a goaltender... Shutouts are tough to come by. I know it's a team stat, but as a goal, you really love it. So congratulations, Kakinen, on a 26, your very first shutout in the National Hockey League. That is it for the podcast today. Like I mentioned earlier, going to slowly start to upload episodes to YouTube when I get an opportunity to do so. So if you aren't listening on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, they should be coming to YouTube over the next, I want to say a week or so. I don't want to guarantee anything, but I will try to upload upload at least more episodes than I'm coming out with. So two a week, there should be uploading more than two a week on, uh, on YouTube so we can catch up here and upload everything at the same time. Uh, I mentioned special guests as well. I'm going to try and get one on for Friday, but I don't want to guarantee anything. Hopefully uh, this gentleman can join me, but I'll have more details on that a little bit later on. And continue to watch out for the hockey writers articles involving the Vancouver Canucks. I'm uh, writing those ones out until then. Enjoy. Uh, We are about the halfway mark of the regular season, at least in the North division. I know some teams have some catching up to do, but lots still going on in the NHL and very much looking forward to this week. I'll be back on Friday until then. That's a wrap.